Good evening, Patriots. It's Monday at the end of Monday, April 17th in the year 2023. And those of you on the East Coast are obviously cruising comfortably right into Tuesday, which will be there very shortly. Patriots, one thing right now with all that's going on, make sure that you are keeping your skills up. These are times that are evolving to high measures of uncertainty and unknowns. So with that, we've got to be prepared for what comes. And part of that is having your skills with your firearms at their peak performance. To do that and to do that affordably and comfortably in the safety of your home, there's no better tool to use than iTarget Pro. If there was ever a story that best encapsulated how bad crime has become, it's the one about Starbucks providing baristas with active shooter training because our cities aren't safe anymore. And while the Supreme Court has made it easier for you to conceal carry for protection, it's your responsibility to be properly trained. That's why I endorse iTarget Pro. This system allows you to dry fire practice with your actual firearm anytime in the safety and privacy of your own home. No more inconvenient trips to the range and you will save a ton on practice ammo. Just download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into your firearm and start your training experience. Improve muscle memory, reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger control, and much more. iTarget Pro comes in all the major calibers, including .223, so you can stay sharp with almost any firearm. Save 10% plus free shipping with the offer code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, when you go to iTargetPro.com right now. This is the smartest investment in your ability to safely and effectively handle your firearm. Plus, it will pay for itself in one day. That's the letter I, targetpro.com, itargetpro.com. Offer code is BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. This is something you want to have. iTarget Pro, good product, good thing to have in the house. You'll be happy you invested in it. It saves time and money. Patriots, you've got some uh, prayers to do at the beginning here tonight. Um, it's, you know, I, I, it's one of these things, I mean, I believe me, I'm very blessed that we have the opportunity to pray for people, but man, two of these today were just, again, I'm just shaking my head at the way life works at times. We have um, a GoFundMe I want to start with tonight, and this is the title of the Go. it's, it is a GoFundMe, not a give, send, go, it's a GoFundMe. And I'll put the link up underneath the podcast. This is Urgent Medical Help Needed, Two Infants and Dad. So the story is, uh, yesterday late afternoon, this was done, this was two days ago, I just got this today, a tragic car accident occurred in Durango. So this is, um, the father's name is Dustin, who had two children with um, his girlfriend. They're two, two young children. And they were driving home, and she was involved in a head-on collision. And the collision killed her instantly. Her name was Jessie. And it severely injured the three-month-old Henry and their seven-year-old Benson. And both the children were flown by life flight to Albuquerque Children's Hospital. The mother, Jessie, does not have any living grandparents or parents to help with funeral expenses. And Dustin has very little to no money for Jessie's funeral or the children's hospital bills. Now, this was posted by Dustin's ex-wife and the mother of Dustin's 17-year-old son, Gage. And so Benson is the, uh, Benson is, one, is the seven-year-old boy, is, is Gage's half-brother. So anything that can be, can, you can do to donate would immensely help this, uh, this now single father and his children who desperately need support and prayers at this time. Thank you very much for your help and support. So again, um, this is a go, a GoFundMe titled urgent medical help needed to infants and dad, but let's pray for that. 
Father, it's just, it's just heartbreaking when we hear the stories of um, infants that are just involved in just so much tragedy around youth these days. And it's just weighing so heavy. It's, it's coming at all angles and all times. Father, we, we declare a miraculous healing for Henry, the three-month-old child, and Benson, the seven-year-old son. We just we pray that these two infants will be miraculously healed. You can restore them and in the process have them be blessed by the blood of Jesus to be the lights in our time that we so need. We need our children, Father. We need the youth that are just getting waylaid. And stories like this just are so heartbreaking. And equally for the father, Dustin. We just pray for him. This is going to be a very difficult time, not only to deal with the loss and then the, the tragedy of the damage, the injury to his children, but equally the new responsibilities he's going to have to carry as a single dad. And equally just a, a blessing of thank you for Dustin's ex-wife who stood up and to reach into this and to really help this situation out. So, Father, we just ask that you bless this moment. And we, we, we declare healing, miraculous healing, in a time of much need. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. And sadly, I have one more. Um, a few weeks ago, I interviewed uh, Tyler and his wife. In, they were attorneys. In um, He's an attorney up in in Canby area. And tonight, uh, she reached out to me and just asked for prayers. They have now, they just lost their 17-year-old nephew who was playing tennis. He was just about to turn 18, and he was to graduate next month. And what I understand is that... Um, I guess he was playing sports and he was playing tennis and he just suddenly passed out and, and died on the tennis court. So let's, let's lift prayers for that. Father, wow. I just want to extend prayers tonight for this family that is dealing with such a difficult moment and the family as a whole with the loss of the nephew and, and obviously for the father who's lost the son. There seems to be a lot of that going around lately, Father. Whatever these lessons are that we need to learn or to carry into this world to give other people strength right now, we're asking for that clarity. Ask for the strength in this family and the healing of their hearts. You can't take this pain away easily. So we just pray for their well-being. We pray for their strength. We pray for their healing. We just ask that you'll continue to guide them and turn them deeper into their faith in these coming days, weeks, and years to realize that we are here for a greater purpose and as difficult as these times are and not by your hand, necessarily, that there's reasons, sometimes there aren't even reasons that we go through this, but they are moments that we can learn from to strengthen and to give others hope and strengthen this walk. Guide them, protect them, and bless them. We say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, I've been thinking a lot about this tonight. And what I've been thinking about is a question I have of what does our faith look like in the years ahead? And, and understand where I'm saying this. So much of this was preventable, and I'm not pointing at anybody or anything, but so much of the situation that we're in was preventable had we taken time to pray, to listen, and to walk away from fear. And 
even for myself, I ask myself many times, is there, is there more than I could have done? And I hope others are asking that as well, because this was not a war to divide, it was a war to save. And so it's not easy at the times that we're in right now to have to confront these things as we watch a, we're watching a world get decimated around us. And, and maybe there's some happy hunting ground nirvana space after all this. When I say that, I'm being very sarcastic, so bear with me. Or some great purpose in this. But we're living through a very difficult time, and we have to be honest about it. And death is not easy. And one of the things I, I just bristle at is when I hear people say, well, and just say it so offhandedly, well, there's casualties in war. Yeah, there sure are. And war is very real, but it doesn't mean you step aside and don't fight every day to try to save these people, to try to save others. For all the politics of horror that we're learning about in our nation, the, the one thing that is very true about American forces is the compassion that they carry. And for all the frustration that we have had to come to grips with to realize how many of these wars were engineered to kill off our own sons and daughters of the nation. The heart of the American soldier is, until you witness it firsthand, it's hard to describe how deep and compassionate it is, even in the most intense fighting. There's no pleasure taken. I think there's a there's a Hollywood-esque thing of like decisions to take a life are easy. I've talked on the edge of that recently with Red Lines. And I'm saying that because we're in a very ugly fight right now. And they're pushing windows, limits of where they're pushing through these lines and limits and they're coming after the children. And this is where we start to realize the true nature of evil. And I don't care, as I've said very clearly, I don't, I have red lines. And when those red lines get flagged, I'm, a, I'm in go mode. And I hope they never get flagged. So be clear about that. But I will tell you that when we are here and we're witnessing just the amount of, of pain that's out here right now, and whether it's a car wreck or whether it's somebody dropping dead or it's somebody with whatever things we've dealt with, we've, we've been very successful in praying for healing. But once there's a point here that the pain and the loss is just sometimes so random that it's just we can't take that pain away. God can. But even then, the pain doesn't always go away and shouldn't because a parent that loves their son or daughter will feel that forever. And that ultimately defines a lot of the soldiers out on the battlefield, the American soldier. I've seen more compassionate American soldiers than I have anybody in the European theater. There's a special forces major. His name is Rusty Bradley. He wrote the book Lions of Kandahar. He's a good man, very good man. In Operation Medusa, which was in September of 20, uh, 2006, it was in the south, and they were fighting in and around Panjue, which was to the east of Kandahar, just to give you a geographical location. It was a fierce fight, and there was a lot of heavy, heavy fighting. This is the same fight I mentioned the other night where the Canadians had lost 70% of their capacity. And they had, the Americans had just turned over that entire area to Canadian and British control and they had lost, almost lost it. So the Americans reassumed control over the operational theater in the RC South, Regional Command South. And they called up every unit they could, they could to go into the fight and special forces units were pulled in. And it was an all out fight. 
because the Taliban were on the move hard. They had made a major thrust through the south, and they were heading towards Kandahar. I had been up in Jalalabad, and I got a message from the colonel that said, I need you down here. I think we're going to lose Kandahar. It was that real, okay? Well, Rusty was leading his team, and um, the Taliban ran into a Kalat. Now, a Kalat is a... It's a high-walled mud. The walls are made of mud, and it's basically the, what you would call it a compound where people live. They put walls around them, and then the, the hut and the animals are inside. And that's just the nature of Afghan architecture. But they had managed to get inside this kalat. And they called for a 500-pound ordinance to drop on that kalat to wipe out the Taliban. But the Air Force pilot didn't have a 500-pounder on his aircraft. He had a 2,000-pounder, which in normal situations is just a bigger explosion. And this situation was another situation that was going to evolve out of it, which I'm getting to in a minute. So he dropped the 2,000-pound bomb, and in devastating the Taliban, the overpressure blast also hit the other side of Kalats, and they ended up killing several children and women. Now, you're going to always hear about these heroic stories about, you know, never show your emotions, be tough as a soldier, all this garbage. I'm not that way, never have been. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. Rusty, is his heart is a lion's heart, but he's very much like that. So what happened is that Rusty ended up doing the right thing when it was all settled and done and they got the battle damage assessment. The interesting thing about Afghans is they're, they're, they are a very gracious and f forgiving people when the process is done correctly. Rusty called a meeting, what's called a shura, which he assembled all the elders, and he came there and sat before them in proper form, meaning took off his helmet, took off his body armor. And he asked for forgiveness. And um, the, as he got emotional for it because it was children that were killed. It was hard. And the thing is that everything was settled. There was the acceptance of the humility of another soldier to them was enough for them to understand that this was a war. And they literally did they granted forgiveness, which is unbelievable in a certain way, especially in our culture today. We can, you know, we can throw stones at other religions, and um, but right now there's not a lot of stones we can be throwing. We have a real problem in our nation in faith, and it's heartfelt. We are balancing the need to be a warrior culture while people are still trying to struggle with what it is to love. There's no easy path on this, and it's not an easy balance ever to make. Rusty Bradley represents one of the highest orders of soldiering that I know. I've lost touch with Rusty. I have the utmost respect for him. Um, I always, you know, I think about him regularly because he was a, he just represented that level of performance that you seldom see. He had ch children of his own and he exemplified a beautiful walk of a soldier of being humble enough and yet fierce enough, that balance, which ultimately we call meek. So I don't know what our faith looks like when we reflect back on this time. We're in the middle of a fight. It's difficult to see a future when you're in the middle of a fight. And there's intense talk that we have to have because this is a war. And unfortunately for the public, there aren't a ton of voices out here that can share the experience of war. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. 
What I do know is that the loss of human beings is never easy, especially innocence. And it's the innocence that you always feel for the most. They haven't really had a chance. And when you look at this enemy and you really lens it the way I'm putting it to you tonight, to realize that you had a special forces major sit before elders to ask for apologies for a, a overpressure of an explosion as they were going after Taliban that were killing villagers and ask for apologies because that explosion, which wasn't supposed to be that big, ended up being way too big and killed women and children. The preciousness of life was enough for him to, in his uniform, be humble enough to shed tears at that meeting. And yet, we are a country where youth spit on you, throw things at you because you're against abortion, because you're trying to save the lives of children. You have adults that lead that same behavior, screaming with venom that it is their right to destroy a living being. I never saw anything like that in Afghanistan for all their faults the preciousness of life to them, it was extreme. I've seen abject poverty beyond scale. I've seen mothers that are cast out that have nothing, that live on the street and little tidbits of handouts that sit in their dirty burkas along the side of the road with their children behind them. I've been to the orphanages. I've been to the, some of the shelters where the women are. I've seen the abuse that happens within their male-dominant, insane culture that they do. But I have the value of the newborn is precious. And even though we can criticize the way cultures like theirs do when girls get to come of age, which means they're able to, they have their first period and they're able to have children, or at least are of childbearing age, they become part of a, that's where the, they will now represent a dowry because that's their culture. This is a child, a young girl grows up and then she becomes worthy of a dowry. So the more educated she becomes and the, the more that they protect her from the outside world because she's of value, because it's also about bloodlines. So I'm not defending the culture, but I'm trying to make something very clear here. I left Afghanistan with a lot of respect for the Afghans. Still have it. And I come back here, and what freedom represents, when you I think one of the things that really strikes you when you kind of settle back into home is what we define as freedom. Afghans would like to have freedom from the Taliban coming into their village and dropping night letters and putting a gun to their head to have them have to put in IEDs as farmers that they don't do that because if they don't, their family's going to be executed. That's not an exaggeration. They would like to have the freedom to grow whatever they want but not have to be desperate to always have to grow opium because the Taliban are forcing them or it's because it's the only crop that they can grow that will make enough money to pay the dowry for the child. They would like other business opportunities. What does freedom mean here? Sadly, if we're listening to the mainstream themes that are going on right now, freedom represents the right for children to cut off their genitals. Freedom represents the right to abort a baby. And these things, if you, I will just tell you honestly, they're hard when you spend time in other cultures to come back here and to realize what we really value. Now, in this community of Bars Nation, we can say, oh, we don't value that. And I agree, we don't. But in the Christian community, we apparently don't have much objection to it because we haven't thrown down hard enough to stop it. It's like we start in and people scream a little bit louder and we're like, oh, got to back off on that one. They might get testy at me. Abortion is where it is because the pulpit was weak and the people in the pews didn't do their job. And we're coming again to a new version of abortion. And it's the trans movement, which is leading us to pedophilia, 
And I have to, I keep asking myself, it's like, where's the church in this? I'm not saying church is in singular. Where is this mass statement of the pulpit against this? And this is what concerns me. And I'm, because I've seen enough of this in the exposed investigations, and we've had enough of this over the years. The question I keep asking myself is, is the church not getting involved? Because if it does, it will expose itself for the hypocrisies of pedophile activity within its walls. It's a question that has to be asked. And so that again leads me to where is the strength of the pulpit? And I would say the pulpit has been deeply compromised. Again, this does not, I'm drawing broad brush here on pulpits. But, you know, if you're in a small town, and I'll just take my small town. I don't know how many churches there are. It used to be like 100 churches in a 16,000-person town. I'm not exaggerating. We don't have quite that many yet. But I know of one church here. It's the church my parents go to. It is not a 501c3. One of the reasons I respect that church pastor so much, he refuses to set up a 501c3. And you see the difference. I mean, he literally is powerful from the pulpit. He's open that we are getting involved in politics. They are open. We are against the transgender space. We are against, and, and you see that aggressiveness of the kind of the black robe again. We really need strong pulpits. And, I, and so in, the, in lieu of not having them, God is raising up his new pulpit. Blessed are we with that because it doesn't come from the seminary. It comes from the heart and it comes from the calling. And it's not going to always be in alignment with seminary teaching perfectly because there's a passion for Christ within this. And there has to be a more, in my opinion, and I would say there's many others that represent this, there has to be a much more forward-leaning and aggressive position position when we deal with the topics because this enemy is being relentless. So in our nation, when we translate out freedom, and I look across the nation and I say, what does freedom represent? And it's constantly sort of the same things. I want to buy stuff. I want health care. These are the big voices. I want a good job. I want to just be, I want people just to live the way they want to live. I don't want to get involved. So if they want to self identify as a pig or a horse's butt, or they want to be a man or a woman, it doesn't matter to me as long as it doesn't get into my space. There's a lot of that here. And then you have these kind of lurking dark elements here. Freedom is represented by a trillion dollar military industrial complex. And freedom is in the kind of general sweeps of the nation is represented by abortion or the fight for or against abortion, because that's the battle line always. And it's the one battle line churches have been kind of engaged in, but they haven't won big territory. And now we've got this new one, which is transgender, which all, all these three things go together. Transgenderism, pedophilia, which they call minor attracted persons, M8 maps, and now that leads us to transhumanism. And you've already got churches signing on to Meta, trying to build their church space in the virtual galleries. It's nuts. We're not seeing leadership from the pulpit. We're seeing from the traditional pulpit, we're not seeing leadership. We're seeing either marking time or joining the crowd. And that isn't something that's going to win this fight. I, I was just tonight as I got this message of the 17-year-old boy that has died. And I was just thinking back to my 17-year-old time, which was kind of wild but how precious that time was. I went to state wrestling twice. I was offered a scholarship 
for Stanford and Columbia to wrestle. Um, it's the time I enlisted in the National Guard. I had a pretty cool Datsun pickup that we used to four-wheel drive in every weekend. We had a lot of adventures, a buddy of mine and I. I hunted. I had a great family. Got accepted to Oregon State University. I, I could just go on a list of a lot of things. They're formative times. No pressure to get injected with anything. You know, there's a story I, I've told a lot about. There was a up-and-coming young quarterback, and he was a sophomore when I was a senior. His brother had been a quarterback. And so the younger, this was in my senior year, he, so I was 17 going on 18, and he was about 15. And he got a girl pregnant. Man, that was a big deal. I mean, it was a big deal. Because believe it or not, even in 1983, there was still a lot of morality left in the relationships that we had and dating that we did. And he got a girl pregnant. Today, it's you know where that would be. Are you going to get an abortion? This is what always stands out in just the def definition of the times. The parents got together and agreed that they would support this young family. And she had the baby, and they made special arrangements so she could go to school for a time until it got to be too obvious, and then they would homeschool her. And they set up so the family could work together. And they I don't know what's happened to them since, but I know that they got married, and I know they had the child. That's pretty wild. In today's age, That's that'd be like saying you're going to go down and rent a Kubota tractor and go climb Mount Everest with it. It's about that crazy of an anomaly. But there was such a preciousness and such a deep preciousness of life. And that's, you know, I go back to Afghanistan. There's a lot of dark horrors that exist in the walls of Afghanistan. Trust me. There's a lot of, um, and there's a sector of, but it's really no different here. It's just a smaller country. The elites over there, the warlords, are, most of them are pedophiles. And they traffic in Hazara boys, which come from the north up near Kunduz. And they love, they love Hazara boys. And there's Hazara boys auctions. It's, it's horrific. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's known as Bachabaz. And it's the trafficking of young boys. There is one particular governor, I think it's Shurzai was his name, over in Jalalabad, that literally had built an apartment complex next to his palatial governor residence that housed 40 men of different ages, young to old, that he owned personally, and they were all his sex slaves. I'm, I'm highlighting this because I'm not trying to in any way have you ever think that I'm painting Afghanistan as some sort of perfect place on the earth. But when you get back to the village, the people, and that's where it always is, it's at the people's level. It, consistently across the globe, elites are just bankrupt, morally, spiritually, when I use the term sometimes flippantly, sometimes I don't know anymore if it's flippant or if it's real, but it's the lizard head thing. I mean, it's literally like when they get to the elite power, they become they become lizard heads. And it's sick. I mean, I've met with Shurzai. There was, I was much more interested, I would have been much more interested in a mission to remove Shurzai permanently from this earth than to do business with him. But that wasn't my mission. But nonetheless, at the village level, it's people are imperfect like everywhere else. But they, they live for their children. And the life is very real. We were in a eastern 
Afghanistan in the province of Zabul. And I remember going in to meet with this village. And they were not too far from the compound that we were in. And the elders all came out. And it was very evident when you have a guest come, they have to, it's part of their faith that they have to, it's a, what they call the code, which is Pashtun Wali in the Pashtun culture, which is guests are a gift from God. So they treat them like that, knowing that if they don't bless a guest, they could lose the blessing from Allah. And what was most unsettling, this was a very impoverished family. They had pulled out the last bits of stuff that they had, the last bit of tea, the last bit of sweet candy for snacks. They didn't have much, and they shared it because we came. And I, the children were the ones ultimately they were going to, you know, the family wasn't gonna have, was having to probably take away from what the children would have had. But it goes back to what I was saying in the soldiers. The heart of the American soldier is so amazing because it's, you would not believe the volumes of things that soldiers would ask and people would send. The American heart for children is amazing. This is another thing. It's not just the soldiers, it's the American heart. We would end up with connexes full of stuff for children, coats and blankets and stuffed animals and shoes and ba- bags and just amazing and Americans would just pour it out. And I love that about our country. I love that about our people. However, I'm going to add a but to this. And that is just like with churches loving to do missionary work over to Africa or to Asia. We're at a time right now that we need to clean our own house. We need to clean up our own house and start realizing that we're where we are because it's always easier to look out than to look within. And unfortunately, we're suffering through a lot of that right now. In all the wars that we've had, including World War II, as far as I understand the numbers, we've lost more people in this war than we have in World War II. And we've lost the same age group, sadly. It's the millennials that are dropping dead and the young ones, Gen Z. And this is a war that was insidious. It played on people's trust. It maneuvered its way through people's thoughts to leverage fear, to get them to to comply, to do self-destruction. And there's a cascading level of issues that are going on here that we, we have to continue to ask the hard questions. Every time there's an incident, we all think the same thing. We're asking ourselves, was that person vaxxed? Because we know the real effect of this. And every person like this that's innocent, and when I say that, that wasn't didn't have a, a iron in the fight to try to hurt someone, They're just victimized by this. It really gets to my heart. It truly does. I may not show it that way all the time, but it does, especially when I get to youth and mothers and children. Man. I've talked to, you know, we just, we see the signs that it's everywhere. The number of trucker accidents that are, you're driving down the freeway, if you're paying attention, how many times you see a truck just like in the middle of nowhere crashed into the medium, it's like, how'd that happen? No other cars are around. Well, we have a pretty good idea. This is an insidious war. And so my intensity of a warrior does spark up. I don't have... I don't have much forgiveness in my heart for this enemy. I will forgive my heart and release the burden of vengeance, believe me. Because I'm not, I'm not taking that into the fight. Because it blinds and it seethes and it rots the soul. But this enemy is, and I don't, and I really mean what I'm going to say. I don't care what sort of lectures I get about. Well, they can be saved. Good. The destruction that this true enemy has done 
there's going to be a hand of justice. There has to be. And we have to get to a place of understanding our red lines. And we have to get to a place of truly understanding that there is this enemy that has done this enjoys watching the slow death of the society. They enjoy it like watching a football game for most people. They're, they pride themselves. And those that are out here that are following this, well, I was just given orders or I was just doing my job, that's not going to fly. Sorry. I don't know what we're going to be left with in a nation. I'm not being doomsayer. I'm just being honest. We're losing our youth. I don't know how many of them have been sterilized by this. I don't know how many are going to continue to die. We've seen these deaths random and everywhere. They're not just some, and somebody, garbage being written the other day about how, oh, Trump backed the vax because actually we can prove it now that those doctors that, that he was talking to were actually pushing a, a placebo. That's just, I don't know who came up with that stupid narrative. It got a lot of traction. It's like, let's stop this. Let's just face it in the eye and realize that this is a real war. And there's real casualties. And in our faith, it's not enough, in my opinion, just to sit by and, and only pray. We have to be active in our communities to wake people up. We have to know where the red lines are in our life. We're not at the point of triggering those yet, fortunately, at least not yet, but we're getting close. But I also ask is, what do, we, what do we say to ourselves? And this is the reflective piece. What do we say to ourselves in 30 years? When we finally look back and we say to ourselves, yeah, that was a war or 20 years. Yeah, we lost, you know, 33% of our millennial class. Are we just going to say when we, someone says, well, what did you do? Grandma, Grandpa, what did you do to stop it? I don't know. What are we going to say? I prayed. And I'm not saying that's an absolute, I'm not saying it's a wrong answer, but is that all we're going to bring to the table? We prayed for it. And I mean, I can almost hear the voice now where the, where the, the grandchild's saying, well, yeah, but did you, did you help people understand the problem? Did you try to get them not to take it? Were you afraid of them because they were angry or telling the truth? Did you, what did you do to save them? You knew the answer. Why didn't you save them? What does that do? What does that say about our faith? I don't know. And I don't know. I don't. I just don't know what that's going to look like in our nation. Because at the end of the day, we're going to have to be that honest. Our faith is critical. It gave us strength to endure the storm of the initial onslaught of this, which fear was the number one weapon. Our faith has to be greater now than ever to get out and truly try to bring people to Christ because there's real people that are going to suffer and die. That's just the honest fact. They're not stopping. They're living with a time bomb inside them. And how many and to what extent, we have no idea, but it sure hasn't let up. And our faith has to be righteous. And whatever that looks like in terms of justice, which is a combination of of justice by God's hand and the righteous line that we draw, we cannot, under any circumstances, let this enemy continue to advance. It cannot. It started the war against the elderly. It struck deadly into the, the most prime working class we have, which is the millennials. And it has continued to pursue the youth that have no protection or no choice, and worse, to mislead them into believing that at any age, 
they have a choice. And then they've compounded it all with a war on gender, which the back end to that is once you do that, you're on their drugs for life. A transgender's average life is about 35 years, maybe 40. They aren't letting up. We can't get soft. Matter of fact, we've got to double down. Patriots, let's pray. Father, sitting here tonight, just deeply reflective and honoring of what you've given for all of us that are here. Equally heavy in heart for the news of two little ones and the news of another youth who is now passed away. Father, I, I don't have words tonight to fully capture this sense of not doing enough. And it seems it's weighing heavy on me, as you know very well in my prayers. How easy this war was to stop, how easy it is even now to stop. But now we're left with the burdens and the scars of war that has to be real. It's easy to trip into a vengeful heart, which you know very well, how easy it is for any of us to fall there. So we do pray for the heart that forgives, but we also pray heavily for justice and a line that we cannot let be crossed again. We have to have our watchers. We have to have our wall builders. We have to have our nurturers, our teachers, our gardeners. But Father, above all, we have to have accountability in you. And we have to, to lead that in this time. These are not easy answers. They're complex situations, but there's different hearts in people. Some are put here as warriors with a sword of steel first and the sword of the spirit second. There are others put here with the sword of the spirit first and the sword of steel second. However those are in the life, let us all understand, Father, that there's a need for both. And in this time more than ever, there needs to be a defensive line and a hedge of protection around our families, around these children, and we need to constantly pray into that. Forgive us for any sort of transgressions we've made and sitting back and not doing enough. Bless us and bless all that have done all they can, or at least feel they've done all they can. But where the opportunity arises, show us how to do more. And lead us in a time when this is not an easy walk. This is uncharted territory in many ways. But it's a witness to a time and a reminder of how dark this enemy is and how quickly it moved to cause such pain and lasting division that now has to be healed. Thank you, Father. We say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. This is, um, I think, something that's important to realize that this enemy doesn't waste any time. And we're, we're all getting lulled right now. The reminder tonight of this young man that passed on the court was how quickly and how fragile life is and how many of our youth are suffering or are set up to suffer. I don't... Uh, we have to be vigilant. This enemy is persistent. It doesn't sleep. And it's not just going to go away in the darkness. And as much as I want to believe, let me rephrase this, as much as I know that at some point Christ will return, that time is unknown. I'm not a clock watcher. I don't try to predict. I just won't. And hope is one of those things that for me, I don't just paint platitudes of hope to just say, well, it's going to work out. God's already won this. Yeah, he has in his own way. 
But in the end, in Noah's time, there was only Noah left, mind you. So I see our mission as always persistent and true. And there is no reason not to be that way. As sure as heck is in a penalty for saving children while we wait for Christ. There sure as heck is in a penalty for spreading the gospel or standing up and doing the righteous acts to protect children. None of that is wrong in this time because that's part of us truly defending this world. And we must. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest end. Oh, I want to feel something. Let me get back in my body.
This is for anybody that needs to hear this. This is a guy named Kevin. He's on TikTok. He does a couple. He has some good pieces. Here you go. Dear Lord, thank you. When my days felt the same and seemed to run together, it was you that gave me strength to keep holding on to a hope that felt impossible to hold. When I had a hard time seeing progress and wanting to quit, it was you that gave me vision to see the assurances of the gifts that you gave me. The assurances that you would build something better than what was broken within me. Lord, I now understand why the enemy wanted me to quit so bad. It's because he believed every word you spoke about me. And the problem for him, I now believe them as well. It took a while to get here, but I believe now, Lord, and I can't wait to see what you do next. Amen. All right, here you go. Bless you all, man.